The bald fat man is Jeff. In the wild, Jeff preys upon fast food and mounting dew. Each new morning, he surprises himself that he survived another day. The dark-hair-bearded fellow is Garrett. His spreadsheets are a way of survival, and his opinions are fine. Just fine. Together, the Jeff and the Garrett form the Give em Hell Brigham podcast. Despite their lack of tangible skills or noticeable intelligence, they not only survive together, they thrive together. So strap in, folks. Things are about to get weird. A new episode of GEHB starts right now. Jeff, it is late on Thursday. We, due to some medical difficulties and your family, you've had quite the week. Yeah, a lot of a lot of crazy stuff in the Hanson house, but uh, how's, all how's things. The little man doing? Yeah, little boy. Um, for those who don't know, um, which I would, I, I posted a picture on Twitter, uh, not really like looking for sympathy, but just like I was being super sarcastic and was sitting at home and in a lobby, sitting not at work, I guess I should say, in a, in a doctor's office lobby, and so I sent this picture. Um. It ended up getting a lot more traction than I expected, which made me feel a little bit bad because I don't think I was ever worried that my boy was like going to die or anything. But certainly been a long week. Um, had a, a pretty nasty bout with pneumonia, still dealing with it. Uh, Four-year-old, he's got his oxygen levels now stable, pretty close to where we want him to be, but a little bit low. But uh, therefore, most of this week, they've been exceedingly low and it's been... It's been uh, breathing treatments around the clock and a couple trips to the doctor's office and hospitals or whatever. And But here we are today. Not the things that you want to have. No, no, not the good kind of PTO this week. That's for sure. No. The I actually, I will, I'll have some qualms and the person, so I actually, we have some medical things in my family as well. Mm. And by that, I mean, um, so my dog that we have talked about over the last few episodes, uh, he was born with a hernia. And so he needs to get it fixed. Uh-huh. I'm taking him to uh, one of our subscribers, listeners, longtime friend of mine, someone who I believe knows both of our in-laws because he also used to live in Yuma. He's a veterinarian. He is a vet up here in Phoenix now. So he's fixing it tomorrow morning. When I called his clinic to schedule it, the like lady at the front desk asked what how old my kiddo was like i knew no. we talked about fur babies no. but i said um my dog yeah is like 14 weeks old like no, no i'm not no, no I said, we're, we're not doing that so no absolutely um, not especially I, given that you have real kids right and it's yeah, so no. it was i said i uh, i'm not going to subscribe to that um so, so let yeah. me let me ask you a question about yes. this because this was once posed to me and people thought i was a monster um okay. it was california wildfire time okay so remember this was three or four years ago feels like it happens every year but this was three or four years ago and the fires were like in neighborhoods like right. there were homes i, being I remember this right. yeah because Shutterfly, I was working for Shutterfly at the time, and anybody, if any of your books got ruined in the fire, they would replace your photo books for free. There you go. Okay. 
So here was the question that was posed to me. You are at work, okay? Your kids are at school and your wife is, you know, running errands or whatever your wife is doing. Maybe she's at work too, like whatever, you know, we're, we're not misogynistic here. She could be anywhere she wants. It's, you want, I know that you want just to be your sugar mama. That's okay. You know that's <laughs> more than, name. more than anything. I want that. Uh, your dog is at home. You get an evacuation notice from the city that says you have to evacuate your house because the fire is now uh, knocking on the door of your neighborhood. Are you just rounding up your kids, meeting your wife somewhere, and being evacuated? Or are you potentially, I, I mean, let's assume in this hypothetical situation here, this wasn't a precautionary fire like, hey, the fire's getting within three miles, get out of here. This is like, hey, the fire's here. Your house is going to burn down. Are you going back to get your dog or are you circling up with your family and moving on with your life? Um, I am circling up with my family, then trying to see if I can figure out like how far, like, is there a window that yeah. I can go? Like maybe like maybe the kid's school is two blocks from my house and we can see the fires away, but it's like, no, it is get the kids first and then reassess. And if there's yeah. no chance that we can reassess or like they've got the road blocked off or something, then it's like, sorry, like, but that's, well, that's it. That was kind of my take too. Like my take was I'm calling other neighbors who are maybe in the same situation yeah. and maybe they're home. Oh, maybe yeah. they, they can grab the dog. But what was posed to, or like what, so I said this, I can't remember if it was on Twitter or where this was at. Maybe it was like a conversation. I just remember it happening. Somebody said to me, Garrett, that if the dog and a child were both in the house and you went in and you could only make one trip, they did not say they would pick the dog first, but they said that both of them would be of equal importance. No. And That's it was like, absolutely not, right? No. So, yeah, no, I'm glad you took a silent stand and refused to call that dog your kiddo because no. Yes, so no, if that is, yeah, no, I, who, I'm going to go through and see who replied to you on Twitter to see if I can find out who talked about yeah, the dog I don't remember and the kid. If it, if it was Twitter or if, I mean, this was a long time ago, like I was maybe even active on Facebook then, it could have been Facebook. But I remember this conversation happening and being just like dumbfounded that like, look, I get it. I love, I have a dog. I don't particularly love my dog, but I understand that people love dogs and my wife loves my dog. She would be devastated in this scenario if we had to leave the dog behind, but she would be infinitely more devastated if it was a child. And the fact that it was even like a conversation was shocking. Yeah, that's uh, that's a no for me. I, I don't like what. Yeah, I'm just very so confused strange. as to why anybody would compare a dog to an actual child. I I, I don't know. I, I, just, don't I do not get it. Um, I don't get it. So we do have. If you missed our Baylor recap, it should be in your pod feed. Uh, we had some recording issues because the bot that records on our Discord, it they changed their commands of like what you have to do to, have to actually invite it to record, but we got that figured out. So that's there now. Join us for our fireside. This it'll be on Sunday. 
I was traveling this Sunday, so we had to bump it to Monday. So we did FHE instead of a fireside. Um, but we will have our fireside on Sunday night. And we do have a new sponsorship that we do. You did. So if you are a VIP subscriber, you'll get 20% off. So that will be, or is this for everybody? For listeners well, or just subscribers? It was supposed to be for subscribers. However, um, they don't know that this is my ulterior motive, Garrett. But Rock'em Socks, I would like to get to a point that they'd produce a Give em Hell Brigham Sock. Uh, yes, which reminds me, we need to loop back on our GEHB official soap. So Yes, we should... yes, we do. So um, I'm going to open this one up. We want to make sure that we are producing volume in the name of Give em Hell Brigham. So whether you are a VIP subscriber or not, Rock'em Socks has got you covered with socks this year. They just released some cougar tail socks that I think are pretty awesome. They've got a whole series of BYU socks. They've got Cosmo socks. They've got Zach Wilson socks. If you're into socks, they're like stance socks. They're, you know, I, I, I don't think they want me mentioning stance in the official read here, but, mm -hmm. but that's what the competitor is. And they look probably better than most of the stance socks that I have seen. Uh, so Rock'em Socks. You can go to R-O-C-K-E-M-Socks.com. That's Rock'emSocks.com. And if you use promo code G-E-H-B-20, you'll get 20% off of your purchase. So please, let's let's give them a lot of traction so that G-E-H-B-20, they see like, whoa, these guys were serious. They've got hundreds and hundreds of orders. Because then when we release the official Give Em Hell Brigham Sock, it changes the game. It changes the game. And honestly, the Cougar Tail socks look pretty good. Honestly, I think they look better than the... So I have a pair of the uh, Cosmo Rock'em socks. And I actually have those because uh, that was what uh, Robbie McCombs had all the groomsmen wear in his way. Yeah, was yeah, the Cosmo okay. Rock'em socks. And and they're good. I mean, they're fine. But it's. I think the I like the Cougar Tail ones more just because it's like leaning into the peculiarity of BYU. Yes. Yeah. It's like, different. And there's like a mascot's a mascot, right? I mean, at least right. we have a mascot, unlike some stupid flappy bird in Salt Lake or in <laughs> a tree in Palo Alto. Well, it's true. And if you go through, even at Rock'em Socks, if you go through, like they have most colleges, I won't say all colleges, but they have licenses with, it looks like most colleges. And they all have some variation of a mascot sock that looks a lot like those Cosmo socks, which it's a great looking sock. But these Cougar Tail socks are different. Without question, they are different. And there's two variations. I don't know if you saw the second variation of the Cougar Tail sock. Well, there's Did like you? the long one, and then it's yeah. like the all over one. I think the all over one is the one that looks better. I like it too, but I do like the idea of just one giant Cougar Tail on my feet. So anyway, folks, rock'emSocks.com. Find the BYU section or buy whatever you want. Use promo code GEHB20 at checkout. You will get 20% off your sock order, and you'll look good throughout the throughout the entire football season. You will look good throughout the football season. Um, the Moving on now into what you all have wanted us to be here for, our mm -hmm. Oregon freebie. The, yeah. So Oregon, their own line – is going is a little bit hurt. I think they're missing both of their starting guards. Uh that is correct. Well, let me rephrase that. That is probably correct. 
mean, uh, they if had they all went. If any of if Dan Lanning went to the uh, Kalani Satake School of Injury updates, then oh, and supposedly according to my guys uh, over at the Oregon twenty four seven site, there's a lot of similarities between Dan and Kalani and how they handle. Injury news. Dan Lanning is one of those coaches that's not releasing a weekly too deep either. Like they just release their uh like their media notes for the week. Mm-hmm. And usually there's a depth chart included in that. And it's it's not like always to be taken as biblical truth, but it always exists for the most part at at schools. Right. Uh but but Oregon doesn't even include it. They just include like snaps played of everybody on the roster. So uh-huh. They're they're getting next level secretive there, uh, but apparently, one of their their guards I can't remember which one is which, but there's a junior and there's a senior. The senior I believe um, missed last week or exited early last week and is not projected to play this week. The junior, I don't know what his status was in their game against Eastern Washington but he has not been seen at practice at all this week. So the the thought is that Jackson Powers Light, old friend uh, from Corner Canyon High School, he will get the start. And then there's another younger player, I believe he's a freshman, who will start on the other guard spot. Um, and then somebody mentioned that one of their tackles was dinged up, but probably going to play. But uh, point remains, the offensive line has some potentially, right? I mean, they could just be sandbagging us like Kalani would. Uh, there could be potentially some pretty big injuries uh, there on the Oregon offensive line. And that's a big deal. This Oregon offensive line, I don't think people are prepared for how physical Oregon is. And all of my conversations that I've had with BYU fans this week, everybody seems to remember Chip Kelly's Oregon. This is a much more physical team. Yeah, it is. It is not the same. Um, I think it's also very hard to tell because they – I mean, what are two things are them getting the absolute crap knocked out of them by Georgia. And then we have, uh, and then them dropping 70 points on a bad FCS team. Like there is, we have the two ends of the spectrum. So we have not seen anything, but it, it will be, I mean, I think people also still think of, like you said, of Oregon of like D'Angelo Thomas and, uh, or not D'Angelo Thomas, D'Anthony Thomas, um, and like Marcus Mariota, just straight speed running the spread option when very few other people were running it, just like pushing, pushing, pushing down the line and just trying to hit you with speed over and over and over again. And that is not really it. Well, one, I don't think they have the speed that they had then. And a lot of that is evidenced by, so they had... Um, let me see here. Oregon. See, and I actually think their team speed is just as fast as it ever was. I mean, they have Noah Sewell at 265 pounds running like a 465 at linebacker. Yeah. Uh, they they signed Harrison Taggart as a linebacker at a corner cannon. He ran a 469, uh, excuse me, a 106900 last year on the Utah track circuit, and he was like their fourth fastest linebacker that they signed last year. They don't have a LaMichael James that's going to run like a 4 two forty. Right. So they, they don't have that like one or two super crazy elite fast. Yeah. But I think that their roster top to bottom, this will be the fastest team that BYU plays this year. Valid. So, yeah, when I was saying I don't think they're as fast, as I was saying I don't think like they don't have that guy. Right. On yeah. offense. And yeah, I think that's So fair. there's like even if you look back, so they dropped 70 points 
uh, last year or last week. But then if you look at the box score, they had 40 first downs. Yeah. Okay. So they were 10 for 14. They had 40 first downs. So they were just moving the ball, but it was like the longest rush they had was 26 yards. And then, I mean, they had a bunch of different guys get carried and it was like 26. The next guy had nine carries. His longest was 17. Next guy had seven carries. His longest was 11. Another guy with eight carries. Another guy with eight carries for 29 yards with a long of 20 yards. And then there was one receiver who had a 39-yard pass. And other than that, the longest reception was 20 or it was 19 yards. And so they weren't like, they were not getting these like, 80 yard plays they weren't like they weren't popping a 50 yard touchdown and that's how they racked up 70 points it was literally just every time they touched the ball they were getting first down after first down after first down after first down and yeah, they could not run the play so it was as a team okay so they had 41 pass attempts and 48 rushing attempts and they did not punt they did not punt or they had one punt so 48 what is that? So 48 plus 41 plus one. So 48 plus 41 plus one. So out of 90 snaps, 40 of them went for first downs. Yeah, that's pretty wild. That is I, wild. I, so they were getting a ton of, which is kind of weird. Like, cause you would think that if you're moving the ball and getting that much chunk yardage on literally every other play, you're getting a first down that you'd pop one of those and go for 60 and score a touchdown. So here's like what you'd, I heard. You get loose. Here's a stat that I heard from your boy. Uh, I don't know his last name. Parker Stats of War oh, uh, yes. on his, on his podcast. They they do a betting preview, and I believe it was Parker. I can't remember if it was Parker or one of the other co-hosts. But they mentioned that against BYU, Baylor, so Blake Shapen threw to tight ends or running backs in the flat, eleven out of like twenty six or twenty eight passing attempts, which yeah. felt like a lot, right? Bo Nix through two games this season is throwing to running backs in the flat or tight ends in the flat 52% of the time. So I don't know if that means they are protecting him or if that's just the offensive design, but I they mean, are, are they protecting. I don't think they're protecting him. I feel like we know what Bonix is. Like, well, yeah. And maybe new. that's it. Right. Like, and maybe I, that's, that's it. Like that, when that, you, when I think of Bonix, I think of exactly the kind of college quarterback when kind of people go back to like what we've traditionally seen from Elisa Tuyaki's defense and like kind of what we did against Keaton Slovis in USC in 2019 where it's like yeah we're fine with you dinking and dunking and like the whole philosophy of the bend but don't break is that college quarterbacks will eventually make a mistake and they can't do it over and over like Bo Nix is that guy where it's like he's good he will like you're not mad if he's your quarterback but unless you have a receiver who can get really open or busted coverage or something like Bonix is never going to like make a play and take over a game when he needs to. And you so, can safely make that assumption with just about every single college quarterback. Yeah. And that's, what's so crazy about Bonix is he has the talent to do so, but he just has never put it together. Um, so yeah, whether it's, you know, whether it's by design, whether it's protection, whether it's just, it doesn't feel like 52% of the time, it doesn't feel like he's, checking down to his third or fourth option more than half of the time that feels like that's a, a an offensive design to me yeah uh, uh so what does that tell me right that tells me that as a defense byu has to win first down that is the most important play is winning first down because if and and you saw this against eastern and you saw it against 
Georgia, uh, but it didn't work, right? So you saw a successful version of what Oregon wants to do, and you saw an unsuccessful version of what Oregon wants to do. If they want to hit the flat and they want to, it's it's essentially like an extension of the running game, right? That you're going to take short, easy passes at or behind the line of scrimmage and get three, four, five yards of play. Like that's what you're hoping to do when you throw that that many swing passes uh, into the flat. And so what that tells me is, hey, you got to get Bo Nix uncomfortable. And he's comfortable more than half of the time throwing to the flat. So if you can win first down, right? You win first down and you get them behind the change and it chains. And instead of second and five, it's second and eight. Then suddenly he has to look downfield and he doesn't want to do that. Or, off, or Oregon's offense doesn't want him to do that. Whichever the case may be, you're getting Oregon off pace or you're getting Bo Nix outside of his comfort zone. That to me feels like the most important thing for BYU on Saturday. I, I think so too. And I mean, that's something that if you can do that every single game, like it, it, there is not any quarterback who really feels comfortable in second and eight because yeah. you know, like it's in the background of like, okay, second and eight, you don't do something on second and eight. Now you're looking in third and long and you feel like you have to force it or whatever. And it's like, so it's staying on schedule is really vital to any offensive success, but especially really, one I mean, with I, 40 first downs a game, right? right. Like that's, that's what <laughs> they're trying to do that. They, they have to stay on schedule. Right. And so they have to, and so with, a guy like Bonex, I mean, it's the same thing we saw with Shapin last week, right? Like it was they were moving the ball, and then that first false start got to where it's like, hey, he had to throw the ball, and Micah Harper stuck that dude and dropped him as soon as he ta- as soon as he caught it, and then there's another false start, and I was looking at fourth and nine, and he just kind of stand there and lofted out of the back of the end zone because he didn't know what to do, and so yeah, that's, that's exactly right. So it, but with how often they're trying to hit it in the flat, it will be really interesting to see. Um, actually, I can log into PFF and see what his um, passing chart was because that would be interesting to see of what he did and where those running backs, like where on the field those running backs were actually catching the ball, like how much, because I feel that, I mean, that's something that BYU fans should be familiar with because in the days of like in Curtis, with Curtis Brown and Harvey Unga, I mean, that's what we did with Robert and I did, right? We didn't, we never ran a sweep, but Curtis Brown had like 70 catches his senior year because every time we wanted to run a sweep or would have run a sweep, instead of pitching it, it was just like snap the ball, throw a swing pass, right? Like that. It, right, it's right. it's kind of like that's it's part of the run game, even though you're throwing it. And so if that's what they're doing, like you said, if it's over fifty two percent of that's what they're doing. So this is one thing where it's our. I mean, Max Tooley has been playing that hybrid position, and it's I feel really comfortable with him. And also, Gabe Judy Lally has shown that he's a very good tackler. And so if he's coming in as your third corner and that's who you have covering the flats, then it's like, we should be okay. Like, we can stop that. Now, is that, now if we go after stopping that, are we going to leave something open behind it? And the speed to do it is like, this is where just the amount of speed there is going to be, like, things are going to be tested. The secondary is going to be tested because, like, we saw Xavier Weaver get a, you know, he popped a, a couple big plays for us against USF none of the Baylor receivers really looked great. So this is going to be the biggest test for the secondary. And this is like one of those games where it's like, if we saw last week what the front seven can do against a men of men offensive line that will pound the ball at you 52 times for the game and like is one of the best offensive line groups in the country. Now, can this the back end of this defense shut down receivers 
And if they can shut down for the most part, the receivers in this game, the last thing you know, it's like this defense, like these are dudes. Like this is not yeah. just a defense. This is a defense with a capital D. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. And that's, that's what it's going to take uh, on that side of the ball is BYU has got to find a way to, to hold up, prevent big plays from happening. Oregon's going to take what they're given. So if you're going to give them that short pass, you're going to give them that pass in the flat. You've got to recover quickly. You've got to make tackles, tackle well, uh, and then do what you can to just make Bo Nix uncomfortable. If he's trying to get the ball out quick, which is something that he does, uh, and, and that's the nature of that offense, you're not going to get very many sacks in this game. So if that's the case, then fine. You cannot miss tackles. You, right. you cannot miss the first tackle. I, if I you miss the first tackle, that's where they will squirt out and get four or five, and you can't. Yeah. Yep. And the, those are the ones that will just hurt you if you can't do that. I do think it's funny, and uh, God bless Danny Holgren, who has on our Discord been go. He has been scouring the Oregon twenty four seven board, seeing what people are <laughs> saying, and there are some freaking. It is like a. It was Utah fan del- level delusional of like there was one fan who said that they went toe to toe with Georgia. So they will obviously take out us. In what world is losing 44 to three going toe to toe with Georgia? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, that, that's one thing that, that I've been able to gather is that the casual Oregon fan, I think the diehard fans are pretty realistic, you know, kind of like how a BYU fan is like the, the more invested a BYU fan is in BYU. I think the more realistic they get about who BYU is and where they're going. And I think that was, I think that's true from, from Oregon. Well, I mean, like this that. makes sense because Utah, they, maybe they are similar. They're just Utah with more money because Utah football started in 2004 and Oregon football started in 2000, which is the first time they ever had a 10 win season. Well, there so, you go. So that, it's, that, they that are, could be. they are the new blood, the, <laughs> the new money that thinks that they've been around for a million years. But there definitely is an element of, BYU is still the whack BYU, right? Yeah. I, I read a quote from the, the, the 1990 game uh, when, when Ty Detmer, I believe BYU was ranked like fourth in the country at that point. When they went up to, I think it was at Autzen. I think that was still the stadium then. I don't think they've, they've had a new one. Uh, but but BYU went up, they were the big favorite and, and Oregon won. That was a pretty big program win for them. Uh, their coach, who I um, his name is escaping me at the time, but the quote was that I don't care if we're not a good Pac-10 team. Pac-10 teams don't lose to teams from the whack. Like there was this element of like we are not going to lose just because of who they are. Doesn't matter if they're good. Doesn't matter what their ranking says. We don't care that they have a Heisman guy. They're from the whack, and we will not lose. And lo and behold, they didn't. And and uh, I think that they're still that kind of mentality coming from Eugene. Um, not from the people that I've worked with. I like their 24-7 site. One of the one of my favorite 24-7 sites to work with. They're great, great, great guys. Um, but I the, from the fan base, that's the vibe that I get is that BYU is still just the whack team that you don't lose to the whack team. Yeah. I did also think it was funny that somebody found that they said that uh Jaron Hall is going to try to beat us with his leg. So we need to force him to stay in the pocket and throw and yeah. try and force him to beat us with his arm because he can't do it. And it's like, I don't think they want like, do well, they, no, are they dude, watching the games? I, I'm telling you that that's kind of like an element to it too, that 
it, it it's weird, but we've always kind of said this that like like BYU fans are really good BYU fans, but like BYU fans don't generally stay up to date on like Virginia Tech football. Like BYU fans love BYU, but right. they're not huge college football fans, right? Right. I think Oregon fans are really similar. Right. Because Oregon fans love Oregon and they're gonna talk about Oregon all day long. But listening to them talk about BYU, like they had no idea uh, what BYU's history was. Like I, I surprised some people this week when I talked about like Jim McMahon and Steve Young, and they were like, "Oh yeah, I forgot that those guys went to BYU. That's crazy." And, and it's like that is BYU football. You know what I mean? Somebody asked a question to me, and I, I don't blame them, but like they asked me the question of like, "Hey, where's where does Kalani Satake stack in BYU's all-time coaching list?" And oh, I was yeah. like. I did listen was, to that. Well, like, yeah, and it was like, well, four, so he's not number one. He's not number four, so he's going right. to be. So, either, so he's, he's basically two or three. He's tied with two or three right now, but he's trending up. And at this point in number the other guy's career, he was trending down and never recovered. Well, and that's and that was just kind of it. But I I think you know if you ask the regular Utah fan, hey, how many coaches has BYU had? I bet you the regular Utah fan could name it. I bet you that a lot of even like. USC fans could probably name it. I was kind of surprised at how little Oregon knows about BYU football or about just football outside of Oregon. Uh, but I, I can relate to that because I think that if you were to ask a BYU fan, you know, name Oregon's last four coaches, I bet you most BYU fans couldn't do it. Let's see, who are Oregon's last four coaches? So it's Dan Lanning, Mario Cristobal, Willie Taggart, Mark Helfrich, Chip uh, Kelly, Mike Bellotti. Bellotti. Yeah. Who was before Bellotti? He, Bellotti was there for a while. Bellotti was there for a while. I couldn't tell you who was there before. Because I think, uh, what's his face? At Fresno, who went who went from Oregon to Cal and is now at Fresno. Um, Ted. Um, was Tedford up there before Ted, Bellotti? Jeff Tedford. He, I think Tedford was Bellotti's OC. I couldn't and, tell you. And, and uh, like Bellotti's first staff, I think it was like when Joey Harrington was at Oregon. I think right. it was Tedford was the offensive coordinator and Chris Peterson was the receivers coach. Which is pretty crazy. No wonder Joey Harrington was so good. Right. But anyway, uh, point being that Oregon football, I think there's a lot of similarities between Oregon fans and BYU fans in the sense that they love their team. They focus on their team. They don't really care about outside of their team as long as it doesn't impact their team. I think that will change a little bit with BYU fans going into the Big 12. I think some of that is the nature of independence, that it's hard to care about everybody because what, what are, you, like, you, are you supposed to care about 130 teams? Like that feels really hard. So in the Big 12, I think we'll see a lot more Big 12 pride and, and people following those Big 12 schools a little bit more. Um, but anyway, just kind of an interesting anecdote that I've kind of drawn and as I've interacted with Oregon a little bit this week. Uh, feels like, yeah, Oregon football fans are Oregon football fans, but they're not necessarily college football fans. Yeah. Um, so let me, so Oregon, get this. So Mike Bellotti started in 1995. What's his first season? He was there from 95 to 2008. So their coach before him was a guy named Rich Brooks. Rich Brooks was there. This is how like nothing Oregon football was. He was there from 1977, the first year that the Pac-8 expanded to be the Pac-10, from 1977 until 1994, with a record of 91, 109, and 4, 
and only went to four bowl games. But he had 20 years of stability. Yes. And the last year they lost the Rose Bowl and went nine and four, lost the Rose Bowl and finished number 11. That was the only time he finished ranked. And then he left Oregon. Huh. It's um, pretty crazy. Because I mean, you he, think about he, it. like Yeah, he left Oregon because he went and became the head coach of the Rams. Yeah, and then it, he was with the Rams it, for two seasons, and then he like left him and was out of coaching for a while, and then he went to Kentucky, went thirty nine and forty seven at Kentucky. It, it's crazy though. I mean, because you really think about it, like it makes sense. Until Nike became Nike, Oregon was just a school in Oregon. You know, like it, they're not in a recruiting hotbed. Uh, it's it was probably tough to go up against. Well, that was Washington during Washington's heyday. I mean, that was Ryan Leaf at, at Washington State. Oregon State had their own runs. Like, Oregon State was a pretty solid program. And then you're going up against all those California schools for California recruits. Yeah, it was probably pretty tough to be an Oregon Duck until that Nike Nike money started to come, you know, rolling in through the program. Right. And you could compete with, with everybody else. So that makes sense. So, Garrett, let, let's kind of shift gears. We've talked a lot about the – uh, Oregon offense and and what that looks like against the BYU defense. Let's let's flip to the other side of the ball. Um, Oregon's defense is not it's not the the defense that was there when Marcus Mariota was there. This is again it's a very tough physical defense. Noah Sewell's insane. Like people know Noah Sewell, BYU fans do. Uh, he's a freak. Like when he was coming out of high school. The a lot of SEC schools recruited him to eventually play nose because he's enormous. Like he is an enormous, he's enormous human Shrek. being. He's like six two, six three. He was like two hundred and sixty pounds coming out of Orem. And anybody who looked at him was like, Well, yeah, like he could probably play defensive line. Uh, but he's also runs like a four six. And so it's like, well, if you're running a four six and you're 270 pounds, then like we better put you in the middle of the defense. Um, that's who he is. Like he is one of the most physical and violent football players I've ever covered at the high school level. And he's just as physical and violent at Oregon. Um, Mase Funa is another one. I don't know. If, uh, uh, is it Ma is it Mace? Is it Mase? I don't I know. It's Mace. I think it's Masse. I'm sure they're going to say Mace on the telecast, but mm -hmm. I think it's Masse. Dave McCann uh, will definitely say Mace. Well, he'll say Jonah Trinaman. So <laughs> Jonah Trinaman on the Oregon defensive line, uh, he's big, he's he's physical, he's aggressive. That's that's what this Oregon defense is. It's it's a different Oregon defense than what we're used to seeing. Now, I, I don't want to say all of that like they're in elite defense. I think they're a very good defense. I don't think they're uh, even the best in the Pac-12, but their style of play is very physical. It's not based on coverage and interceptions and turnovers and just hoping that you can stop the run a little bit. Uh, this Oregon defense, they will try to control the line of scrimmage and they have the bodies to do it. That front seven is as good as as, as Baylor's front seven. It's, it's really close. That defensive line is legit. Um it's going to be a physical, physical game. I see this game. I see, I see BYU's offense looking a lot like how they did against Baylor, which is a little bit scary because that running game did not get going at all. And BYU has got to find a way to run the ball. And and in my mind, 
BYU's there's two. There's there's BYU's ability to run the ball and BYU's defensive line. That's where this game is going to be run or going to be won. If BYU loses Osta, loses both of those battles, they lose this game. If they win both of those battles, they win this game. If they right. split, it comes down to Jaron Hall versus Bo Nix and which one of them makes a play. And I like BYU's chances, right? Right. Uh, but but they've got to run for more than 83 or 87 yards or whatever they did when 50 of that was really Jaron running and Chris Brooks couldn't get going at all. And and what do you think? Do you think there's a different approach in how this game goes, like that we see with the run game to try to get Chris Brooks going? Because it seemed interesting to me that it seemed like I don't know that it was when the game was online, like when we got down to first and goal after Jaron hit Keanu Hill on the wheel route and we ran the ball twice, ran the same play twice, once to the right, once to the left, that it was Peeney in there instead of Brooks. So do you think that was just a factor of we felt like we needed to go max protect on that play and Peeney's a better blocker? And so that's why he was in. And because he was in, he just happened to get the carries. Or do you think that he was specifically given those carries because of how Brooks was playing just throughout the game that it didn't seem like he was getting I don't think I don't think it had anything to do with Brooks like Lapini Katoa throughout his career has scored touchdowns for all the ups and downs he's had everywhere else he's a touchdown he's been the yeah he's been the touchdown guy so I don't know that it necessarily had anything to do with Brooks but there were a handful of drives throughout that game where it felt like you know, they, they kind of alternate almost, it's almost every other drive, those two kind of switch. But there were a couple of instances where I was expecting a switch and it was still Katoa out there. Um, I don't know. I don't know if that's because they, they knew they weren't getting anything going in the running game. So they wanted, you know, Katoa is better as a pass blocker and a pass catcher out of the backfield. Or if it was, hey, Chris Brooks, it's not your ninth. I, I don't think it was that because Lapini didn't have a good night running the ball either. Right. And I, I don't know. I, I don't know what it is for sure, but I do know there's got to be more holes um, against, against Oregon. If they're going to win this game on the road, you, you can get away with having to rely on the pass game a ton at home. It's going to be really tough to rely on the pass game when it's third and nine at Autzen Stadium. That's going to be brutal. You need the running game to help you get into third and threes and third and fours because yeah, third and nine at Oregon is a, a lot further feeling than third and nine at Lavelle Edwards Stadium. Right. And it will be interesting too to see because uh, so much that school doesn't start for two more weeks up there until How the weird. 27th. And so the students... Is that section, weird? It is very weird. But like, so it will not be like as raucous of a crowd because I mean, there will be some students, there'll be some young people, but it's not going to be, you know, like it's not going to be the same crowd that if USC rolled into town the first weekend in October that you would no. get there. And so no. there is that difference there. But yeah, I think watching the game back last weekend, it didn't seem like either. It wasn't just, I think people, we expect Brooks to be able to grind out yards because he's big and strong. And he did that sometimes. Like there were a couple of times where it was like third and two. And we gave him the ball and he got hit at the line of scrimmage and he pushed his way forward and got the first down. Like he did mm-hmm. that his job, but there just, there was nothing going. Like we could not move Siaki around at all. I'm, tr- I'm trying to pull it up right now to like, keep me honest as I talk, because off the top of my head, it feels like BYU ran right a ton last week. Um, let me see. I can pull on PFF. They do have the rush direction. Oh, I yeah. did pull up on here. The Bonix passing. 
So Bonix has 70 pass attempts so far this season. Uh-huh. Uh, he is 17 for 18 on passes between the numbers caught behind the line of scrimmage. <laughs> and then he is also 17 for 18 on passes caught between the numbers less than 10 yards downfield. That's pretty crazy. Actually. So like, yeah, but to have over a quarter of your passes basically be screens caught behind the line of scrimmage. So that's either a screen or you're like running a really shallow mesh and dumping it off. And it's like the receiver happens to be catching it right at the line of scrimmage. And so it's getting tallied that way, but that is. Um, so so, me... so I, I, I've got it up here while you were okay. filibustering for me. Uh, they ran left. So we'll say uh, without, you know, taking all of PFF's proprietary, whatever we'll say outside of the tackles, they ran left outside of the tackles five times, right seven times. And then if we count up the middle as just anything through like the A gaps, right? Whether it's left or right, but just off the center, um, they ran up the middle 10 times. And then they ran right off tackle or, you know, like between the B gap and between the guards and the tackles. Um, right five times left five times so i guess it was pretty evenly split uh but when they did try to get to the edge they went right a couple of more times than they went left and that's not i guess inherently bad it was just a little bit surprising to me that you have blake freeland and clark barrington on one side of the the offensive line it feels like you would skew your rushing attack to follow those two i mean i have all the faith in the world and in whether it's Harris or whether it's Campbell Barrington, Kingsley Suamataya, whatever combination of those three there is out there, confident in what they can do on the right side. But it feels to me like you would want that ratio to be, I don't know, like 60-40. Like you would uh, want to run not, behind. Is that not what it was? But the other way. I would say 60% of my runs to the left and my quick napkin math was the other way around. Uh, I think it was like 60 to the left. Because if oh, I look yeah. at the, the team totals, it's like jet sweep left three, and then it's well, like well, okay, so yeah, left so you got nine, seven, it. nine, nine on the left, and then the right was six, three, seven, six. Yeah, I'm taking out those middles where they went middle left or middle right because that's just up the middle to me. Uh, well, I mean, that's basically the gaps. Okay, so yeah, if you, it's also hard to tell because when you're running a wide zone, like wide zone can look like inside right. zone because it doesn't like you're calling left or right. And then however it runs, I mean, you can not really, I mean, you can still split those because he's not going to be going up that mid, right. If they called wide zone left, because he would get to the hole, you're going to go up the center's butt and then bounce it after you get there. So it's still going to be off the center's left cheek and then go up But that, yeah, that wide zone, it can like, it's not, Everyone, like the college football, there are very, very few teams that run a gap scheme now in college football. Mm-hmm. Everything is zone blocking. So when you think of like, oh, like when back in your heyday, if you are a middle-aged listener of this, where you're like lining up in an I formation and you're running like, uh, you're running like uh, 34 ISO and it's like oh I know that's hitting the B gap on the right side and the three means it's going to the tailback with the two with the fullback as the lead blocker like that's not how it works anymore right like nobody's doing that anymore right you're doing everything is a zone and it's like there are rules for 
whether the offensive lineman is trying to get the ins like if it's inside zone, he's going to try to get the inside number and push the guy out. But if it's outside zone, he's going to try to get his head on the far number and still kind of move him a little bit. And then there's rules of like, you know, when you're going up to the back or whatever, but it's still the running back is still just supposed to be patient and wait for whatever opens by the time he gets to the line of scrimmage, whatever opens, that's where he's supposed to plant and go. And so sometimes yeah. that's up the middle because even if like in that zone, it's like, if you're trying to hook that guy, you know, if you're trying to run a wide zone, Siaki Ika is in the B gap and you're trying to get your head around him. If he takes a step that way, you're not going to try to stop him and move him and get a head around. Him. Like you just push him out and say, Hey, the running back needs to see that I'm going this way with them. And he needs to go underneath me. And that's, so it's, it's really hard to tell. So I almost like when they go off of like, I feel like the direction where they break it down by like, and tackle guard like which gap they ran through it's true it's that almost old. tells me more about what the offensive line did and where they like for the running back and the play calling i only care about left or right but then if it's like oh all of these were going between the guard and the tackle that tells me that's like freeland and barrington like they were moving dudes and that is like they were doing their job and they were moving people and it's not like a game plan thing because on almost all of our runs it's like wide zone right wide zone left that's what and maybe that's maybe that's what and maybe i shouldn't be but maybe that's what surprised me is it just feels like you would try to design more off the left edge right like get to the edge and get off of uh, uh, and maybe it's a traditional run scheme and it really doesn't fit the wide zone that byu has done but try to let barrington and freeland seal that edge and it's kind of what they try to do when they run jet sweeps but I'd like to see more of Chris Brooks or Lopini Katoa trying to get to that edge rather than right. they're going up the middle on every, every time they touch the ball, seemingly they go up the middle. The only time BYU is trying to get to the edges where you can take advantage of those two tackles is on a jet sweep. It just, I don't know. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe I, I, I need more data points there. Maybe I need to look at it a little bit more closely, but that's just what it feels as I watch it. Like they're not, they're not trying to get to the edge. And so teams are able to just kind of sit there in the middle and why you couldn't get a push, whether they went left or right, they could not get a push up the middle. And maybe that's just a testament to, to, to Siaki Ika and uh, the, the other guy, the player that they got the transfer from Tulsa uh, who rotates in with Siaki Ika. Uh, yeah, those two were just legit. Yeah. Cause looking at our run blocking grades, um, you know, we did, let's see. Oh, so I don't know how PFF breaks this down because they do have PF. If you look at like the run blocking scores, they have zone and gap, which it's like, you're taking a lot of liberty of assuming what the coach was actually trying to do when you're just watching film at like 4 a.m. the day after the game played, <laughs> right? Um, and so, and also like, yeah, so they, um, but what Freeland, like his was his run blocking grade was 76.3 and then pay was the next highest at 62.6 and then you had like campbell yeah, barrington so. 61 like it was the whole and then clark was uh like 57 harris lachance 56 so there so, was so nobody was particularly successful. nobody was great and yeah so so I, I mean bringing this kind of back to to where we were at it, it BYU needs a run game. So whether that's Chris Brooks, who's got to play better, whether that's this offensive line's got to be better, whether it's a little bit more creativity in the run play calls, I don't know what it is. I, I think there's maybe a case for all three of those. 
Um, they got to be better. They're not going to be able to go into Autzen and run for 80 yards and come away with the win. That much I can say with with almost absolute certainty. Right. So to me, that's what it is. The passing game, um, yeah, I mean, it's got to go. I'd like to see Jaron more active with his legs this week. I would I, not hate I, that. I, you know, you don't want him to see him take hits and all that stuff, but I would, I would like to see. He's just so dynamic when he tucks that ball and runs. He's elite. He runs like a running back, and uh, I would like to see that early. It seems like that tends to be reserved for second half, and it's usually not called. There's usually one or two designed runs. It feels like for Jaron. And then he he tucks and runs two or three times a game. I'd like to see a couple of design runs early so that you have got that Oregon defense on its toes early that, okay, he's it's a running day. Jaron's going to do this. I feel like if even if the running game with the running backs doesn't get going, if you can make Jaron a true dual threat and establish that early on, it feels like that's going to help open up the pass game especially if Puka and Gunner can't go, and it sounds like they probably won't go. And we saw that last year too, right? I mean, early, he had more designed runs, obviously, and then the ribs happened um, in week one, and he pushed through the Utah and the ASU games. But then against Baylor, we saw more designed runs when the offense was bottled up and nothing could get going of forcing him, and then he popped off that long run, and then that really opened up Puka on the back end because now all of a sudden they had to, after that 60-some-odd-yard touchdown, you know, that was... This was Baylor last year. Yes, yeah, last year. Yeah, 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 it was yeah. like that opened up. So I do think we haven't seen him, you know, we saw him with a couple designed runs when he needed to move the ball this week, and I think we will see a little bit more um, because it's one with his ability and obviously wanting to keep your quarterback healthy. It's like that's something... He's not a guy. Jaron is a quarterback that can run. He's not a running quarterback, right? Like he is good enough. He can, we all saw those throws that he made last week. And we saw the two wheel routes that he hit on the sideline to Keanu Hill, the first drive of the game and the last drive. And we saw that touchdown pass that he threw to Chase Roberts hit right before half. Like we've seen his accuracy. Like there are no doubts that he is an accurate quarterback with a great arm and he throws yep. a beautiful ball and he can run when he needs to. He is not. Taysom Hill, where he needs to get 12 to 15 rushes a game to soften up the defense enough that he can actually fit the ball in somewhere. Right. And, right. and that's like, well, that's what he needs to do. Is he, like he has, to... he has all of his fingers. Taysom Hill had 10 thumbs for most of his college career. Yes. Jaron Hall has eight fingers and two thumbs. Yes. And so I think with that, there is a lot of, um, I, that you can leave that in your back pocket and say like, okay, when we need to run him, we can run him. Like we can, he can pull that ball on the option, which I don't think he had. Not very many. I remember one. I only remember there were a couple of times where he could have, but it was almost like they said like, no, we don't like, we're not doing that this game. Like we don't need to, like, it's fine. It's almost when it's like, you tell him like, I mean, cause obviously it's an option. You can choose what you want to do, but you know, with him, it's like, okay, you better be sure you're not going to take a hit. Like, we don't just want, I think I can beat that guy around the edge. Like, we want, you know, you can beat that guy around the edge. And then maybe against Oregon, it's, okay, let's do the, I think I can beat that guy around the edge. Unless your option guy is Noah Sewell. And then you say, no, just let, just let someone else get hit by him. We don't, we don't need him anywhere in your vicinity. Like, 
you do not need to get be getting hit by 270 pound Noah Sewell running yeah. full speed downhill at you. Yeah, and so, but a, I do that's think, an injury waiting to happen, right? Yeah. There. So I do think we will see some of that of you know get him moving, um, and just try to force him not out of a necessity, but it's always like, you know, that's the game of like what coaches do, right? Like it's each week you see a little bit more, you see a little bit more the stuff that's in the back of your playbook. Like you never want to quite show everything, and there's the stuff that you don't want to pull it out until you have to. And I feel like the force them to cover Jaron with his legs is a, we don't want to, that's in the, we don't want to for like, we don't want to do that until they have to, because everyone knows that yeah he can run, but when he hasn't done it very much in the first two games, it's a little bit less. You're like, Oh, they're trying to, you know, he's going to throw up more. He's more involved as a quarterback, whatever. And then you can kind of like, then you can kind of pin it on him. And so yep. it's, I, I, I would not be surprised at all if that's what we see. Um, but yeah, I don't, what is your prediction of this game? I, I don't know. Are you seeing this storm behind me? Yes. I thought you were it's, watching TV. No, this is lightning. Not, this is insane. You're not in Arizona. Did you see the, I, did I send you the video of when I flew back and I got stuck on the plane for an hour? No, no, but that's so funny. I just I think I've said on the Discord it was like so we landed and it's monsoon season right now in Arizona. There was too much there was lightning and rain. So we landed and then we sat on the runway in our plane with the plane shaking because of the wind and just like lightning going, which the monsoon in Arizona, lightning storms in Arizona are freaking awesome. I love it, but it sucked when it's like I got two kids and we're sitting there on the plane yeah that's and nuts. Uh, shout out to byu fan uh david something who is a dentist up in sholo who entertained my kids while we were stuck on the plane when they were tired of listening to mom and dad you are the true hero of the night um <laughs> but the, yeah it was wild i i saw the flashing i just assumed that you were watching tv so no, I think this, the... this is all lightning it feels like i'm on a plane in a rainstorm right now like my house is just shaking it's pretty crazy um, uh, but but a prediction like what do i think is going to happen this line has been steady like well it's... It, it opened big right it opened at six and a half and then dropped and it's did sat... it really open if i thought i saw like one place where it opened at six and a half but there was like i, I think it was an I, it was early like a mistake line. i think yeah. it was an early line like because everything this week since last or since sunday is like looking at sure it is like four and then moved to three and a half so it's been yeah pretty and steady. that could be because this is one that was posted as like a big game early line in the summer right oh it was yeah six yeah. and a half uh yeah. but it's sat yeah between three and a half and four pretty well all week and that's kind of how i see it shaking out is i i really do think that this game looks a lot like the game against baylor but in this scenario byu is on the other end right they're they're the road team they're in the crazy environment um the difference is that give me jaron hall 1000 times out of 1000 over blake shapen and right. i i think that you know if byu has a chance on the final drive of the game to go and get a score and win jaron will do that uh and if and if i'm byu i think that's that's the kind of game you're hoping for is that you want a one possession game and a chance in the fourth quarter. You're not going to win this game in the first half. Like you're not, you're not going to jump out on them against like you did against USF. This is a game that you've got to keep tight for three quarters and be there and have a chance late. And then I like Jaron Hall more than I like Bo Nix all day long. So in a way, 
does this kind of feel like the uh, Wisconsin game in 2018 that we won 24-21? Uh, it could, yeah. I mean, where it was tied 14-14 at halftime, and it's like I, really close. And then I think the way that all plays out is very different. But yes, I mean, I, yeah. I think it could be. Just uh, the, the to, flow of the game where it's like we are hanging in there punch for punch, and you're being from about like we may get a lead early in the third quarter and then your butt will not become unclenched until the final whistle blows because yeah, you are yeah. just expecting that at any moment they're going to break open for a 70-yard play and we're going to lose the lead and then fall apart. Yeah, it's kind of the Utah game last year to me that like BYU got ahead early by a score and if you were able to watch that game without emotion, yeah, BYU, they, they never really felt like they were going to lose that game. But also, they kind of always felt like they were going to lose that game. And uh, it sort of feels like that, that, that this one could go either way. I do like, I just like BYU's attitude this year. That feels so weird because it's an intangible thing. Um, but it's different. You know, people have, have cautioned BYU fans, right, to like be overly optimistic because that 2019 team had a bunch of upperclassmen. You know, that 2019 went and beat Oklahoma and then laid an absolute egg against Florida State. But that even that team, the leadership felt different, right? Like that that team was oriented around a really tough defense of just guys. And then Max Hall and Dennis Pitta. But this feels like BYU has that they are structured that they could hold a team to under 20 points and win by defense. They also could go and score 70 points and win with offense. They go eight deep at wide receiver. They could put the ball in Jaron's hands. They could run the ball really well and just re- lean on an offensive line. It feels like this BYU team is is set up differently than most BYU teams of the past because they can beat good teams in a variety of different ways. And that is something that Max Hall, as great as those teams were, if you took away the pass game, as great as Harvey Younger was, he wasn't going to win you a game, right? Like, it had to be both. It had to be Max Hall, the elite passer, Dennis Pitta, the elite tight end, combined with a really good running game. Like, that was yeah. how BYU won those those close games. And I just feel like this team is different. And maybe I'm wrong, but it feels like this team is different. Yeah. Um, I, I do think it definitely feels like the attitude, even listening in the post-game show, you know, the guys, like, they heard, when you listen to the post-game show with uh, when Max Tooley talking about the defense and how the coaching staff got them prepared, like, they hear the stuff that people say, and they've heard yeah. people talk shit on the defense for the last year about how awful they were and how much they sucked last year and how the offense is bailing them out all the time even though there were weird games, like how we beat Washington state 21 to 19 or whatever in the offense <laughs> didn't do much. Right. And the, and so they, I think they're kind of tired of it and they have, there is, it seems to be like, you know, last year with, we saw it with like Peely and Wilgar a little bit at the beginning of the season and then Chaz before he got hurt and then he kind of fell off. But it this year, top to bottom front back middle of the defense, it just feels like there's this attitude, like this swagger a little bit of like, we can play. And we don't care who you are. We don't care what you think about us. Like, we can play. And we're not worried. Like, like Max Tooley was fine last year. Max Tooley was not hitting people the way he is hitting them this year. Max Tooley was not jumping under routes for pick sixes last year like he did in week one against USF. Like, it's there's just a new – it's not just different play calling 
it is like it is an entirely different attitude that it seems yeah. from the defense and maybe some of that is from the play caller right like it's we're going to call aggressive so the guys like get in the you know kind of like a you go sometimes you go for it on fourth down to show the guys that you believe in them that they can get it done even if maybe it's not the wisest thing to do because you you know you want the is it like the attitude and the mindset of this is how we do things maybe that's some of that but it's like it seems that there is a newfound confidence like the same way last year now in the fourth quarter of games you could just tell like the offense knew that they were going to wear you down they knew that they were going to get Alger going and chew clock and have a seven minute drive in the fourth quarter and just take away your opportunity to come back in the game like they just had that confidence and it really it feels like the defense has bought in and has that same type of like attitude or swagger that we saw from the offense last year and now it's matched with the offense which is awesome for us scary for other teams yeah I agree. and it's going to really be tested this week I agree with that. Uh, um, I'll tell you. I'll tell you who doesn't have a lot of energy. Us. We're not on our A game tonight. Like, does this feel like our A game? Uh, no. This is a. Uh, this is. This is. We're. This is feeling like a November or Idaho State. Todd Tech. It does. It does, and, and that's our fault. You know, we own that. We got to get better. We, we got it. We need to. We need to review the tape. We need to mm-hmm. get going. Uh, and you know, go back and no matter how good we do, there's always things to improve on. We need to review the tape, identify things, uh, get better in our game planning to go yeah. ahead into next week. Uh, but before yeah. we sign off, uh, you know, we do have some recruiter to talk about. The uh, we do have two commits since last week, big so ones, big, big ones. So we got Siale Isera, a composite four star. Um, you know, he from Temp View. He's a big boy. Like, I mean, what he's like 250 right now, and he plays linebacker in high school. Like, he's kind of like a great value Noah Sewell. Yeah, he's unbelievable. And um, he is he, he's awesome. the nucleus. He's the nucleus of a Timpview defense. It's easy to forget that Timpview is a 5A team because they just like are they play 6A teams all the time here in the state of Utah, but they are a 5A team playing up most weeks until they get into their region play. And Ciala Acera is like helping that that Tempio team. Just they kind of ran wild. They got beat by Sky Ridge in a game they probably should have won, uh, but they beat Lone Peak, defending state champs. They beat Bingham soundly. They beat uh, Harriman. I mean, so they're they're running through like the who's who of Utah high school football. And on the defensive side of the ball, Ciala Acera is the guy that everything kind of orbits around. So yeah, absolutely big time get, even bigger. He's going to graduate early and enroll in January so that he can start playing in spring ball. You love and also, to see we, it. We've talked about this in his like commitment announcement. Like we love guys that are like the next three to four years. I'm going to be at BYU. Like just that, like, oh, they the league is what matters to them. Yes, he's got um, that. So running down, so that puts us at 15 commits for the class of 2023. So running down in order, uh, and I still I hate that. 24 7 like dump the composite ignore forget rivals forget espn you don't need them you're better than them but running down the list so jackson bowers cla sarah ethan thomason josiah phillips who we talked about when he committed a couple weeks ago a name we haven't talked about a lot lately but who's having a great year in his awesome is uh pakaiaua haunga who also is from tempview he tore his meniscus this last week, so he's out for a while. He's hopefully out for a while, he's, but he hopefully he's back balling. for the playoffs. Yeah, like, he's good. He looked 
so good and can play so many positions. Uh, Leo Pulasi, running back up from Washington. Um, well, he's an athlete. He can play offense or defense. Ryder Burton, the QB from Springville, will be very underappreciated because the Springville offense ain't it. There is – he is throwing to – brick walls and i think you or i could go out and play tight end and improve the overall quality it's so frustrating no i i like that offense could have jackson bowers playing tight end and it wouldn't matter because that offense they either run the ball or they run like deep slant or deep corner routes and deep nine route like they're just throwing deep to the sideline or they're handing it off that's all they do which is like on the one hand, it sucks for Ryder, but on the other hand, it's also kind of like it tells you a lot about him and what you're getting in a quarterback. Like, remember, like when Jake Heaps came and it was like, oh, he's a five star, like top rated crew, whatever. And he said, like, BYU football is my mission. When someone asked if he's going on a mission, like, I'm holding a press conference, blah, blah. blah. It's like Ryder Burton could have transferred to Timview. He could have yeah. transferred to Provo or Orem or like, you know, gone to any other school that actually had a coaching staff that could prepare him. But he's like, nah, I'm going to do the camp circuit. I'll go train with John Beck. John Beck tells A-Rod, Ryder's the dude in Utah. Like, and it's so it's what you are seeing is the absolute floor. And so for me, it's like one, the attitude of he's not the guy that's like chasing offers or going to move and lie about his address to get around transfer rules to go play at a different school. He's not doing all that crap. So that says something about like his personality and two, he is also like, you are not getting a guy. That's like a, um, oh shoot. Like you're not, he's getting, not like a system, like a, he's not like a, what's he's not a Cam and Cooper. Yeah. Well, yeah Lehigh, exactly. Where it's like, yeah, it was highly rated, but it's like, he'd been doing the training thing forever. He played in that offense. He went in, like he played it in, in the same offense in high school. Then he went to a similar offense in college. Like, he was basically tapped out by the time he get there. Like Ryder Burton, like what you are seeing is like it's barely scratching the surface for him. And yeah. so the the floor, the ceiling is a lot higher. It's a very unknown, but a lot higher. Then we got like uh Simone Davis, Matthew Frederick. We talked about great athlete, Miles Hall, Landon Chambers, I think is very underrated as a running back. I mean, what he's playing out of six A school in down in Texas. Um and so he uh and then Stanley Ross, anytime you get someone with the last name Ross in the door, you're doing all right. Pearson Watson, we talked about is Aaron Wagner, Aaron Wayne Wagner's Jeff, Aaron and Jaden Wagner's nephew. And then the last two, like 20, this is where 24 seven just needs to dump composite. Owen Borg and Andrew Heineg, they do not have ratings. So they are not contributing anything to BYU's class rating because they are not rated as a composite raising because 24 seven is the only one who has watched tape in, in who has watched tape on them. Owen Borg is starting at Corner Canyon in 24-7 is an 84 overall. Andrew Heining is from a small town in Oklahoma, but he's 6'6", and they have him as an 85 overall. He's rated higher than 24-7, has him rated higher than the grade that they have for, um, let's see, oh, I just pulled it up. The like They have him higher than what they have for uh, – Pulasi. So it's like they, but because he doesn't even get counted towards your class rating. So when you are finding guys where it's like, this is a BYU kid from a small town who committed on the spot and they're not even going to bother trying to do the whole recruiting thing and BYU is going to end up being their only offer, not because no one else cared, but because like 
they are just shutting it down. You look at the 24-7 rating, it's like, oh, this kid can play. He's rated higher than a lot of other quote-unquote higher-rated kids in him by 24-7 who actually watches the tape and grades them out versus but then they don't even get included at all in the class ranking so it's it's frustrating and i wish 24 7 would just drop entirely um like i I wish they would just drop the composite facade entirely and just go look we think we're better like we know we used to do the composite thing to average it but no we just we think we're better so we're doing that now um uh yeah i I agree i wish so there's a recruiting update. This class is shaping up to, I mean, the, the big 12 bump is nice. There's still guys. I mean, what we still got Spencer Fano who things are looking all right with. Uh, I mean, there's so many guys in this class that I have to even pull it, go up and look as we get out the door here. Um, so if we look at guys, Smith Snowden's still around. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just and we're looking around. in Utah, right. Even if we just look at, um, let's see. Um, even if we're looking at like the top prospects in the state of Utah, okay, we got to come out. It's like, we still got Spencer Fauna. We still got Smith Snowden. Uh, there's Taliafi Ta'ala, Siali Asay, we already talked about. Uh, Matayaki Hilu, or, you know, his brother's committed to BYU. He's committed to Utah, but he's still talking to BYU. BYU's um, trying hard in that one. Yeah. They want Junior- him to come and play running back. Yeah, Junior Sia out of Mountain Ridge, he can play. Um, you know, there's there's the other, another Pututa, like Talitui Pututa, Motekiai Maunga, like Trey Roberts, you know, uh, Chase, that's Chase's younger brother, right? Yeah. Um, you know, Trey Roberts is, he's in there. Like, there are guys in Utah, and there's still a lot of good athletes. You go around, there's the other McChesney kid, um, and so it's there are guys that can play and there's still a lot of good LDS talent that is on the board that is higher than what we have been recruiting previously. And the, the big 12 bump, it's nice. It's not just the big 12 bump. It's the momentum. It's the winning games and putting guys in the league makes it. So guys want to come walk in the front door. Ethan Thomason said something cool to me after he committed this week, he said, BYU doesn't typically chase the four and five star guys. But the way that he phrased this was really cool. He said, but because of their success on the field and putting guys into the league, they have earned the right to chase four and five star guys. Yeah. I thought that was really cool because absolutely BYU has. And, and that's something where we kind of, and we, we talked about it before, we kind of felt like, a, well, they're probably never going to give us the time of day and we have a limited budget. So we're going to be prudent and not waste a ton of time on them. And, but now it's kind of like, no, we can because, you know, when you look at, okay, outside of, outside, look at the atmosphere on Saturday night that we saw in Provo. Outside, you won't find that anywhere else in the West. In the West. Okay, maybe USC when USC is good, which they have not been in over a decade. And what, like Oregon, midseason until they lose a couple of games, so it's like nobody else in the pack is going to give you 65,000 fans like that. And even half the Big 12 is not going to give you that. It's, it's like if you want to play in an insane atmosphere at home every week and you live in the Western United States, there is one place to do it, and it's in Provo. So if yeah. you are a recruiter and you are listening to this or you are a high school player and someone on your team is good enough to be recruited, just remind them of that, that if they want to go play in front of the best fans that are going to provide a home field environment 
where you will cause four to five false starts a game and make coaches reevaluate their entire overtime philosophy. There's only one place to do that, and that's in Provo. So, Jeff, there you go. I think it's going to be a close game. I think we will be extremely tense the entire game, but mm-hmm. come out with a three point victory or two point victory. We're going to lose, we're going to win by less than a field goal or less, but nice. we are going to, we're going to pull it out and it's going to be stressful. It's going to cause some gray hairs, but I'm we're getting more it. of those, man. That's why I have to be bald. Because I just need more hairs. They, I don't care if they're gray or not. I just need more of you them. Should along just, the shave front. It. just shave it. Bald is great. Um, I don't know if my wife would feel the same way, but we she can... would. She would. I'm telling you, try it. It'll grow back. That's true. If you hate it, it'll grow back. But I promise this... you that you won't hate it. This is true. Maybe I'm. All... What if I have a weird shaped head that I've never noticed? I have a weird shaped head, but once you're bald, people see your weird shaped head once. And then the second time, you're just a bald guy. Mm-hmm. This is a wisdom from Jeff late at night. Well, Jeff, we will be again, we will be in our fireside on Sunday night. And I hope this I'm I'm feeling good about this one. It's gonna be a stressful one. The Cougies are gonna get it done. And they're gonna give them hell. I hope so. Give them hell.